I would like to take a look at John chapter 3, a very, very special passage to me. My wife and I were high school sweethearts. I think I've told you that before. We actually met in kindergarten, and uh, that, that's really a true story. I know sometimes speakers exaggerate, but uh, I really did meet her in kindergarten in church, although we were in the same class. I don't think we liked each other in kindergarten, but things did change eventually. And we were in sixth grade together, uh, same teacher. Uh, she saw all the trouble I got into and uh, still married me some years later. And um, when we were seniors in high school, um, we were very active in our local church. We, uh, we loved the pastor. Uh, he was actually our dearest friend, one of our dear friends. Uh, his daughter, actually, and my wife were best friends, and um, he had moved into the area when we were in about fifth or sixth grade. Um, and we were very active in our church. In fact, my wife and I were actually seniors in high school. I think we had just gone into 12th grade. And the church came and asked us if we would teach in, in the junior high Sunday school class. Uh, the junior high Sunday school class teacher was going on vacation for like three weeks, and they, the kids had requested that we come and teach them lessons on soul winning. So I said, seriously? I mean, you know, we're in the senior high class, still in high school. And they said, no, they want you to come teach. And, and so with fear and trembling, I mean, I really, you know, we, we had never been trained to be teachers, but we loved the word and studied a lot, and so I said, I would love to do that. Well, that three-week assignment uh, turned into seven years. Um, the other teacher came back from vacation, but the, and there's a whole long story, didn't continue teaching. And so at the end of the three weeks, um, the Sunday school superintendent said, we'd like you guys to permanently take the class. And we're like, wow. Uh, and so we, we had this little room uh, it was underneath a stairway, Little White Church in Conklin, New York. And we grew to over, I think it was 20 or 21 kids in this junior high class. It, it got so, the, the room, they had moved us a couple of times. This is where we ended up. And the room, we, we were so packed in there that there were Sundays I had to stand in the door. And it was a little frustrating because I couldn't use any kind of visuals. I literally... We, we packed the kids. Uh, there was no, nothing posted as to what could be in that room. So we just packed the kids in, and I literally stood in the door, had to leave it open in order to, to, for me to fit in the class. Uh, there were a couple of times I think my wife even sat like in the doorway um, or outside the door. I mean, it was unbelievable. But I got to tell you, we, we loved those kids. I just absolutely loved them. In fact, when God had called us into the ministry and we went to become a youth pastor, I, the hardest thing was to leave that junior high Sunday school class. I loved junior high students. And um, the first uh, book of the Bible that we decided to tackle was the book of John. I'll never forget it. Probably the kids won't either because we took a whole year to go through the book of John. Uh, but I, I remember... Um, that being the very first thing that I studied and studied hard. That was a few years ago. 
So we're here in John chapter 3, and I would like to uh, share with you some things that have really just, God has just burned into my heart. And uh, here in the book of John, I think Sola's kind of, it's a good thing because I'm not paying attention to the PowerPoint. Thank you, Sola. I want to share with you something, first of all, that Nicodemus didn't get. Something that he didn't get. In John chapter 3, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness? If I've told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. An amazing passage. What Nicodemus didn't get, um, in spite of who he was, first of all, a man. And some of you are probably saying, that's his problem. <laughs> well, it may be. He was a man. He was also a Pharisee. And so I know that he was a pretty educated, pretty religious man, at least. But the scriptures also say he was a ruler of the Jews. And so this was... Um, a very educated man. He, he was, in many ways, bright. He was brilliant. Uh, and I at least give him credit for coming to Jesus, though it was by night. And some, of course, think that's because, you know, he didn't really want to be seen, and that may be so. But in spite of who he was, he was a man, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. I believe that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, and so you, you take the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these religious people, this group that was really supposed to keep control of Israel so that there were no riots, there was no uprisings, that, that Israel would just behave itself. And Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin as one of these men that's supposed to kind of help keep control. And so in many ways, he, he was brilliant. The Sanhedrin were trusted to deal with the Jews under Roman law. They existed to keep the peace among the religious people. And I believe that Nicodemus was one of these men, and I believe that he was watching Jesus very closely. I think he knew all about Jesus. In fact, when do you, you come to this story in John chapter 3, do you know what Jesus just did? 
If, if you think back in this particular time, he had just cleared the, the, the temple. Remember when he, he came upon the temple and he saw the money changers and he saw the business was, was going on and Jesus just was so upset that his house it was no longer a house of prayer. They were really people were taking advantage of each other and it was wrong. And, and Jesus overturned the, the tables. And I mean, I believe Nicodemus saw that. I believe probably Nicodemus said to himself, it's about time somebody did that and cleaned house. Because I think Nicodemus was a very religious man. Verse 2 says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Now, you've got to catch what he said. He, he at least knew enough that Jesus somehow was an amazing person, but he thought he was just a teacher. What he didn't get is that Jesus was and is God. He's God. Nicodemus is as brilliant, as educated as he was. I mean, you've got to understand, Nicodemus's vocation in life was to help people spiritually, to, to point them in the right direction. Spiritual leaders are those that you can go to and say, hey, I, I need some help. Could you explain this to me? Can you help me out? Nicodemus should have been one of these people, and I believe he was, that, that helped people spiritually. That's what he did. But he didn't get this. And he says, we know that you're come from God. I'll give him that much. Sometimes we're hard on Nicodemus. I want to tell you, I'm impressed that he came to Jesus. There were a lot of religious leaders that, you know, when Jesus spoke in parables, you know, one of the reasons why he did that is because the people that wanted to understand him asked, what do you mean by that? There, a lot of the religious leaders wouldn't even ask because they would have to admit that I didn't, I, we don't know what you're talking about. Some of them were so proud they wouldn't even do that. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's asking him questions. So I'll give him that much. He was searching and yet not quite able to grasp the truth. And I want to tell you, we run into people like that all the time. I, I've had people ask me, I, I hear you're born again. And I, I know that that's always going to lead into an interesting conversation because usually they want to know, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? That doesn't make sense to me. But people ask us, and really that's exactly what Nicodemus was asking Jesus. Look at the text. He he says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And uh, Jesus answers him, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I think it's interesting. I see, I see Jesus giving Nicodemus a couple of lessons. Now, I, I say that's interesting because who was the teacher? Well, Nicodemus was a teacher. He, he was a ruler of the Jews. He, he was a master of Israel. He, he was the one you would normally go to to get these things answered. So Jesus gives him a few lessons. And I think the first lesson, in fact, there are three times Jesus says this. I'm not sure if it's three lessons or three times that he points this out. He says, first of all, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I think that must have really struck a chord with Nicodemus because when you speak of a kingdom, that, that infers a king. and uh, infers someone reigning. And I think Nicodemus understood that part, that someday a king would come. And so Jesus used the right words. 
And, uh, and I like that. And in spite of what Nicodemus thought, in spite of what Jesus said, because Jesus really tells him three times, and, and the second lesson was this, verily, verily, I say, and the except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, you have to be born the first time. But even more important, you've got to be born the second time. And that's what it means to be born again. My wife and I, the reason why we do what we do is for the opportunity to come across kids and come across parents um, that need salvation, that need to have their eyes opened. Because until your eyes are open and God has to do that, you'll never, ever enter God's heaven. No matter who you are, Nicodemus was pretty big stuff. No matter who you are, it's who you know, and you have to know Jesus. The third time, Jesus says, now, now catch this. In fact, I don't know if you noticed in the second verse, he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee. He says, more or less, I'm talking to you. Could you just see a teacher saying, now listen up. Yes, I'm talking to you. Notice this. He says, now this is the third time that he's telling him this. The teacher telling the teacher. He says, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. That, do you kind of get that that's important? He, he's saying to Nicodemus, I'm telling you, you must be born again. It, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter uh, what you've earned. It doesn't matter what you've purchased. It, you have to be saved. Nick, you will never enter God's heaven unless you get this right. And I remember teaching that as a 12th grade student, and that made a deep impression on my life. That in all that we do, we better teach people what the Bible says and what the truth is. In spite of what Jesus said, he said the words, of, in fact, if you take a look, it's in verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus begins talking about the wind and Spirit, and by the way, those two words are identical. Uh, notice this, both are invisible. You cannot see the wind, you cannot see the Spirit. Now, I drove, uh, I'm sorry, correct, let me correct me. <laughs> My wife drove here, and it was a bit windy at times. Uh, I saw some things moving around, and uh, we dodged some of them, and, uh, but I couldn't actually see the wind. But I saw evidence. Now, both are invisible. Both are sensed. Oh, boy, can you sense the wind? Um, it moves our van every once in a while. And I think I just want to get where we're going and, uh, and, and on the road, not, not because we're flying there. Uh, both are invisible, both are sensed, and the presence of both are revealed in their effects. And Jesus is trying to make a point. And because when it comes to the Spirit, uh, even though he is invisible, I believe he can be sensed. Um, in fact, there are times when I'm with people and I can just tell that uh, they're godly, that they've spent time with God, and I like to have people like that praying for me. 
Because there, there, there is a difference. I have been with people and I have sensed just some sort of evilness and I can't explain it. But there are times I'm with people and I can just tell they've been with God. Um, and you, you just want to be around people like that. That's pretty cool. Well, what we must get, what Nicodemus missed, but secondly, what we must get, because we can't miss this. And uh, it's in verse 14. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, I don't know if you remember the story in the Old Testament, but what Jesus is doing is he's taking Nicodemus, and by the way, the best teacher in all the world. Um, I don't know if Nicodemus was a great teacher. I assume he might have been, but I think the best teacher in all the world is Jesus. And I've, I've preached on the teaching of Jesus, and his teachings are just amazing. But he does one of the best jobs as a teacher I've ever seen because he simply follows this pattern, and that is to state, to restate, and then to illustrate. To state, to restate. In fact, actually, he stated it three times. Sometimes a teacher, have you ever noticed that a teacher just has a way of repeating things? Now, sometimes they'll say the very same thing. Sometimes they'll say the same thing, but in a different way because they come at another angle. It just helps you to catch it. And Jesus stated the truth three times. He wasn't distracted. In fact, I, I wish I had time to go to the next chapter. Probably the biggest contrast between Nicodemus was chapter 3 of Nicodemus and chapter 4 when he deals with a woman at the well. And I could give you about 10 different contrasts. Unbelievable. You have a moral man, an immoral woman. You have a man, you have a woman. You have, and there's about 10 different things. Unbelievable. But Jesus is the most amazing teacher in the world. He states, he restates, he actually restates again, and then he illustrates. He takes, um, he takes Nicodemus back to a story that Nicodemus would have known well. He studied the scriptures. He was a ruler of the Jews, so he knew this stuff. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and if you don't remember the story, what, it's, it's going back to the book of Numbers, and it's going back to a time when Israel had sinned against God, a terrible, rebellious people. Over and over again, Israel would fall into sin and God would judge them and then he would deliver them and raise them back up and then they would fall into sin and he would judge them. Well, this is one of those times that Israel had sinned terribly. And do you know what God did? He sent snakes or serpents and they bit them and the people were dying. And Moses gets on his knees and he pleads before God and he asks forgiveness for God's people and God heard his prayer. And God says, all right, Moses, I'll tell you what I want you to do. He says, I want, and you know the story, I want you to go and I want you to make this brazen serpent. I want you to put it on a pole. Then I want you to walk among the people and I want you to hold it up. And I want you to say something and it's this, look and what? And live. Look and live. He walked around with this, this serpent on a pole and he basically just said, look and live. And, he, and the people, if the people were lying there in pain and I decided I'm, I'm not going to look, I'm just upset, I'm angry with God, I'm not going to look, I would die. But if I would simply do what Moses said and I would look up at that serpent on the pole, I would live. 
Uh, it was as simple as that. It was a simple message. It was just look and live, look and live, look and live. And he walked around the crowd of all these people bitten by snakes. And what God was doing was giving them a picture of what was to come. And in this case, Jesus is using this to, to give an illustration to Nicodemus because he loves Nicodemus and he's told him three times, Nicodemus, if you don't believe in the Son, you will never ever enter God's heaven. If you don't put your faith in him, it's over. And then he gives him the illustration of just, just like back then. I had to get over myself and I had to lift up my eyes and I had to look and I would live. In the same way he's saying Jesus is going to be lifted up someday. And Nicodemus, you're going to have to look and live. You're going to have to put your faith in the way that God has designed salvation Verse 15 says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's three simple things what we must get. The illustration that brings clarity was the illustration of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. A truth that shows simplicity. Listen, you can say that's complicated. It's not complicated at all. Back in the Old Testament, all I had to do was look up and live. It wasn't hard. I just had to get over myself and realize that, that I couldn't cure myself. I'm going to die. But if I'd look, I'd live. And even salvation today, I know that we can make it complicated. Sometimes I preach and when I get done, I think, wow, that wasn't simple. I need to do a better job. But listen, when it comes to faith in Christ, I simply have to look and live. I've got to believe that Jesus died for me. And i got to put my trust in him. It's not anything that I can do. And it's really a truth that shows simplicity. Um, when you stop and think of it, and I, I've studied some other religions, and in other religions, if you want to get complicated, you study other religions. I mean, there's religions that make you do all kinds of things to somehow earn salvation, and, and I mean, if there are people today that are just so gifted, and if they told you that you had to go out on this street and get the biggest boulder you could find, get on all fours and push it with your nose 10 miles down the road, there are people that would do that, thinking that'd bring them salvation. You study the different cults, and some of the things they ask their people to do are ludicrous, to, to try to earn their way to heaven. That's ridiculous. Talk about confusing and complexity. God made it so simple. I, I, sometimes I can't believe it. Jesus did all the work. He died for us. He took all the pain. He, he took the very wrath of God upon himself. Never deserved any of that. I'll tell you who does. I, I deserve it. I deserve the wrath of God. But oh boy, do I thank God that Jesus took it for me. Now, does he want us to do good works? Absolutely. Absolutely. But not for salvation. It's more out of appreciation. I believe every person that knows Jesus as their Savior ought to be doing something in the local church. Just out of sheer gratitude for what God has done for us. How would I dare ever sit at home not serving him somehow. God has, has done so much, a truth that shows simplicity in good teaching that identifies reality. 
the greatest teacher in all the world. Verse 15, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus didn't cut Nicodemus any slack. He told him simply how it was. And John 3.16 is, I guess, my favorite verse in all the Bible. I think, in fact, I often use John 3.16 to share the gospel. I, I, that's the only place I have to go. I mean, I like using Romans Road. I like John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I like that verse. I like John 3.36. I like John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30. Um, I like the last few verses in the end of the Gospel of John, but I got to tell you, John 3.16 is my favorite place to go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I got to tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. It is so simple. Ten words that are historical. Ten words that are historical. You go through John 3.16, I know there's more than ten words there, um, but ten words that are historical. A text that is inexhaustible, uh, you cannot exhaust the scriptures, and especially this one verse. I've been studying this now for 30 or 40 years, whatever, um, 1976, uh, I think 1975 is when we began teaching. Okay, since then. Um, and I got to tell you, I keep seeing something new every time I look at it. Ten words that are historical, a text that is inexhaustible because everything centers on the sun. Um, I don't know that this is magical with the King James Version, but I know in the King James Version, if you count up those verses, the very middle verse is the sun. I think that's pretty neat because the sun is the center of everything. Let me mention there, let me go back to this thought, ten words that are historical. The creative work of God is summed up in 10 words in Genesis 1, and God said. The creative work of God. The legislative work of God is summed up in 10 words in Exodus 20. Uh, the legislative work of God. And think about this. The redemptive work of God is summed up in 10 words here in John 3, 16. Is that pretty cool? The redemptive work of God. I was uh, studying just this week. John Phillips says it this way. He says, ten words are summed up in five pairs. Ten words, five pairs. God and the Son loved and gave. World and whosoever believeth and have, perish and live. Ten words, five pairs. It's a text that's inexhaustible. You could read it ten times with the emphasis on a different word. For instance, we could say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We could focus on any one of those words and, and we could preach a whole message on it. You, you can't exhaust it. And what I'm saying is I could, I could spend the rest of my life just studying the Gospel of John, just studying chapter 3, or maybe just studying verse 16. And I would never exhaust it. I believe there's so much more to learn because everything centers on God's Son. There is no plan. 
There is no program. There is no purpose that does not come back to the Son of God. God calls us to trust His Son. It's that simple. The word believe, did you know this? That it appears over 90 times just in this book, in the Gospel of John. Over nine, I think it's 93 times I've lost track. But I've circled it. I've taken a little gospel I've read and I've circled the word believe. It is the gospel of believe. It's the gospel. John, it's a little different than the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I love those gospels. But John wrote for a little different purpose. His whole purpose was to show you and to show me that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? Let me share this. At the end of John, as we begin to wrap this up, and every chapter is just incredible. But if I can go from John chapter 3 and skip all the way to the end, take a look at verse 20. Look at John 20. This is amazing. In John 20, John tells us why he wrote. It's no secret. He says in John chapter 20, in verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. And many other signs truly he did, which are not written in this book. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever read that. I thought, what do you mean that are not written in this book? That's exactly what John's saying. There's a lot of things that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. Unbelievable things. In fact, you'll read some of them in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But they're not all in John. John wrote for a different purpose, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these words, that you might what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, those are two of the 93 times I think it is, you might have life through his name. John says, that's why I wrote. I didn't write and include everything that's in the other Gospels. In fact, I don't think everything was included. I know that. Not everything was written about Jesus that could be written. What was written is what we need to know, but there's a lot more that Jesus did. And it's interesting, not only that he said, but that he did. For some people, words are cheap. They can talk about all kinds of good things, but what are they doing? Take a look at the very end of the letter. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. John's simply saying that we know these things are true. John knew who wrote them. And he knew who said them, and he knew who did them. But look at the very last verse in the very last chapter. And there are many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should all be written, every one, I suppose, even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Do you, do you catch that? I, Pastor John, I have in my library, I, I have probably 3,000 books. I'd love to read. I'd love to study. My library could not hold a candle to God's library. Because he's saying, listen, folks, you just got to understand this. This is how amazing Jesus is. If everything was written that could be written, the world itself would not be a big enough library to contain the works of Jesus. Do you get that? I, that's amazing. And, and John, I think I know what we're going to do in heaven. I think we're just going to sit and hear Jesus teach. I don't think that's all we're going to be doing, but I, I'm going to tell you, I think that one of the magical moments is when we sit and Jesus just explains more. I, I said to my wife, I think it's going to be like, oh, 
Now I get it. Now I understand. That makes perfect sense. Why didn't I get that before? I, it, there's not going to be days in heaven, but if there were days, I think every day would be like that. It's like, oh, wow, was that good. <sighs> every moment. Let me close with this. The greatest message in all the world, not because I'm sharing it, it's because it's John 3.16. The greatest message in all the world, the greatest being for God, the greatest act so loved, the greatest scope, the world. There's nothing bigger than that. The greatest gift that he gave the greatest possession is only, the greatest person begotten son, the greatest offer that whosoever, the greatest choice believeth, the greatest object in him, the greatest escape should not perish, the greatest alternative but have, the greatest destiny everlasting life. I got to tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. So what I leave you with is this. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to refuse to look up at the serpent like the children of Israel did, or some of them did, or are you going to look and live? What are you going to do with Jesus? Do you believe that he is the only way to get into heaven? Now, I haven't said this. Sometimes we're hard on Nicodemus. I give Nicodemus credit for coming to Jesus. He did the right thing. He heard truth. And Nicodemus comes around later. You study it. He comes around later. I believe that Nicodemus was saved. I don't know at what point. And that's not the important part. But I think he came around. And I think he finally had his eyes open. How about you? What will you do with Jesus?